This morning we'll read scripture from um, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3 and parts of chapter 4. Let's read together. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death but he was raised to life in the spirit. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us... What terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to us yourself through your word. And we ask that you will fill Steve with your spirit so that he will receive your words to share with us. We ask, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to hear what it is you have to say to each one of us personally and to us as a church. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Well, two weeks ago, I was sitting out there in the audience, and Robin came up and said something about talking about submission and that not being a very popular topic. And I had just been asked to talk about suffering the church as God's suffering people. And I thought, wow, you know, that's also not a very popular topic. Um, Yeah, wow, how do you do that? And then I realized, you know, I think that suffering is something that we all know. That's now let me let me ask, 
How many of you have ever been hurt physically, emotionally, um, stressed out beyond what, what you thought you could bear? Just a show of hands. Pretty universal, right? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you suffered, but you didn't know why? You didn't get an answer why? A lot of us, right? There's, so suffering, suffering is something that we all face. Not knowing why, for me, makes it a lot harder. Um, I'll give a really quick example. When I was a teenager, um, I started finding out that I had very bad teeth. Uh, that I had a condition. Let me see what it's called. I've written it down here. Oligodontia. And in very extreme cases, you end up with a, a mouthful of teeth that look like Gollum from, uh, uh, from the Lord of the Rings. Um, now, mine wasn't that extreme, but it was extreme enough that um, when I was 38 and one of my teeth had to be pulled and that meant that I could not chew anything hard on either side of my mouth, everything was covered by the insurance. I was missing, I think, seven adult teeth. I didn't have them at all. Uh, and at least two or three of my adult teeth were so small, they looked like baby teeth anyway. I still had four, I believe, of my baby teeth. Um, but they were very weak compared to my, uh, my lower teeth were very weak compared to my grown up upper teeth. And so they had been ground down, um, and were getting closer and closer to my gum line. Some who knew me before remember that I don't have that anymore, uh, thankfully, but as part of that, I ended up going through several operations, several years of uh, orthodontics work, pulling my teeth this way and that. And then they had to cut me open, take some bone from my hip, graft it into my jaw. And um, I was expecting it to be painful here. It was, it was much more painful by my leg. In fact, it was more than a month before I could climb steps in our our home was on the second floor, uh, up two flights of steps. Um, so I was uh, staying for a month at my parents-in-law's house. While I was recovering, I was walking with a rollator uh, for a while. Uh, then I got to a cane anyway, but it hurt. I remember that it hurt. About three months after that, they said, okay, now it's time to do a skin graft, a, a gum graft. The bone is still exposed, and we need to cover that up. And the doctor told me, you know, I've got this little machine. I'll just take some from the top of your mouth. But he said, you know, some people say this is even more painful than the other one was. And he said, I don't know. I think, um, I think it's probably that, that people forget pain very quickly. You forget pain very quickly. So they did that. They took skin off the roof of my mouth. They put it on my jaw. And that all happened before getting seven implants. 
Um, it was, in my memory, at least as painful. And it was so painful that I really didn't eat much for 10 days and lost quite a lot of weight. I probably need to go through that surgery again. <laughs> uh, would help. It was the easiest way to lose weight, I can tell you that. It just... Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I knew what the purpose was. I knew why I was going through the pain, and I was very grateful. Many years before that, when a couple of younger kids said, hey, smile for us. And I said, what? And they said, smile for us. So I smiled, and then they just started laughing. And that was even before I knew I had a condition. I just I knew I hadn't had some of my grown-up teeth come in yet, but I didn't know they would never come in. I think that was a lot harder to deal with, being ridiculed, being laughed at, being made fun of, and not knowing why. Not even, even later, finding out that I had this medical condition, that doesn't really help, right? Why do I have that condition? There's always another why. Um, so there's different kinds of suffering that we face. Pain, physical suffering, uh, stress, financial stress, um, problems going on around us. I, I, I think of what happened just this year in the Bahamas, people who lost everything. That's, that's suffering, right? I know we have many Iranian brothers and sisters here. Um, I do want to say, by the way, please, if somebody doesn't understand, uh, please translate. And I had asked the rest of us to give a little grace if there's, if there's some whispering going on in the back. Uh, I, I'm asking that because I translated to Farsi for many years. So I know that, that uh, it is very helpful to people to understand what's going on in the service. And it might be a little harder for us to hear, but... Um, yeah, so being falsely accused, being shamed, being humiliated... There's many different ways that we suffer, many different ways. I think suffering is universal. I think we've all experienced that. Um, I think it's also very, very difficult to compare one person's suffering with another. Because I think even if we go together through exactly the same circumstances, some people will be able to handle that kind of suffering a little bit better. They, they have more resilience there. They, it, it doesn't impact them so much as it will somebody else with the same, with the same circumstances. Um, but let me, let me give you an example here. I have a friend. Uh, he lives on the Arabian Peninsula. And for a, at least 10 years now, he has been going through... Um, really hard situation. Um, I think it was about 10 years ago, 
that his brother-in-law, who he had hired, his brother-in-law said to him, you've cheated me out of a lot of money, nearly a million dollars. You've cheated me out of that. And he didn't know where it was coming from. What are you talking about? He's a businessman. He's a very successful businessman. But, uh, you know, what's going on? Eventually, he said, you find an auditor. The auditor can come and do all the auditing and find out if it's true or not. Well, there was a discrepancy of a few thousand dollars, and he paid that. But this brother-in-law wanted almost a million. So what did the brother-in-law do? He said, listen, you pay me or I'll divorce your sister. Unless you give me the million, 900-something thousand, I'll divorce your sister. And that's when the trouble started because... At that point, his whole family turned on him and said, listen, we cannot go through that shame. Just pay him. You have to pay him. And he looked at the situation. And he said, this is not right. This is, this is wrong. This is not the way it should be. But they pressured him. They even brought in um, some of the local religious leaders to convince him that he had to do this. And he, he gave way. He did it. He paid. A few years after that, his lawyer, um, a woman from, uh, from Britain, I believe, um, she was pregnant and she accused him of being the father. Now, you can imagine what that did for his family relationships after the first problem. And his his wife and family, to this day, do not believe that he had no sexual relationship with her. They refused to believe it. They said, you must have had, otherwise she wouldn't have accused you. Even though the DNA test proved that you're not the father, what does that mean? His, his life has been ruined. He's a very rich man. He's lost it all and gained it back several times. But he's, he's told me, you know, you're my only friend. And I'm not even sure how much I can trust you. But about 18 months ago, that's kind of the background. About 18 months ago, he, as we were talking on the phone, he asked me, so how are you, Steve? And I thought, well, I, I'd, I'd better be honest. I'd better let him know. So, so I told him. I said, well, you know, in these last two weeks, I've received four um, heavy uh, messages, heavy uh, things. The first one was that my cousin, uh, who I didn't know drank at all, had, um, had gone into alcohol rehab, uh, alcoholics uh, rehabilitation for, I think, four or five months, struggling with life. The second thing was that my uh, sister-in-law received the news that there were four new tumors in her brain 
And that was about two months after having had three already um, lasered and removed. The third was uh, another brother called and said that my niece Sorry. My niece didn't want to be my niece anymore. She wanted a boy. And they've gone through the process of uh, giving her hormones for several years now, not telling anybody, but they want to take it to the next step now. And then the last thing in those two weeks was that one of my very best friends let me know that he had planned his own suicide and was just about ready to carry it out. I just found out recently that my conversation with him was his last um, I guess the last barrier for him to go through with it and and he he didn't praise the Lord he's doing really well now, but he had it planned and he told me that he had planned many times actually and I told my friend I said but I haven't had any emotional capacity at all to deal with any one of these or to pray for them because we were drowning in our own stress and suffering and difficulties and it was just really, really hard at that point. We, we, we just had no more capacity. And I know some of you have been there, that things are just so hard for you that even though there's something very real and very close, you can't, you, 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 there's nothing you can do. You can't even be there for the other person. Now, there's a big difference between my friend and me when we're talking about suffering. Peter, as he's writing here in 1 Peter, he's assuming that the people he's writing to are believers. And so, as I speak to you today, as we look at these verses... Um, if you know Jesus, then there are things that are true for you that aren't true for my friend yet. He's seeking. He wants to know. He wants to know if, if Jesus is the answer for him. But at this point, he has decided my suffering, the only thing I can do with that is take that anger that I have And let that drive me. Let that be my source of energy. Because there's nothing I can do about the suffering. I can't change my situation. So that's what I'm going to do with it. My friend, when he heard what I was going through, his response was, Oh my God, I can't even imagine going through that. My own troubles just pale in comparison. Now, I think that's not true, actually. I think that his 
His difficulties are a lot worse than mine. But I do know that I have a hope that he doesn't have. And he said that many times, Steve, I have no hope. So I want to say to those of you who don't know Jesus yet, if you know what I'm talking about, if you have faced stress and pain and suffering and you don't have hope, this passage today is for you. I think the only good thing that comes out of that kind of suffering is recognizing this is not the way it should be. There is something wrong. And the answer to that is, you're right. There is something wrong. In fact, Paul said in Romans, he said, all of creation is suffering. It's groaning, eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Suffering that we have in this world is proof that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's something we can all know personally. But what about the church? The church is a suffering people is the topic today, right? Does it mean it all stops? Well, I I was a believer a year and a half ago when I went through that rough time. Suffering doesn't stop when you come to know Christ. But God does something with that that's very different. And instead of it becoming hate and becoming just my source of energy, I'm going to fight and prove everyone wrong, whatever you do with that, instead of that, what Peter says to us is this, um, So in 1 Peter 5, verse 12, at the very end of this letter, where he talks so much about suffering, he says this, my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. What you're experiencing, the suffering, is part of God's grace for you. Be assured, be encouraged, stand firm in his grace. And in fact, at the very beginning, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he said this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Right? Fire, we use fire to purify gold. You heat it way up and everything that isn't gold either burns off or separates out. And what you're left with is is pure. But he says this. Though your faith, 
is far more precious than mere gold. So when your, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. In fact, he actually says there in, the, in that, those verses, he says, gold will also perish. Even though it's already pure, it's going to pass away. But your faith will not. So, the suffering is a fire, and it is testing how genuine our faith is. So if we look back at our passage here, the first part, chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, who would want to harm you if you are eager to do good? And I think that makes sense to us. That's logical. If somebody's doing good, why would somebody else want to harm you? And I think that that makes it even harder when we do face suffering because we don't have an answer. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why would they do that to me? If you're doing good, you shouldn't shouldn't be abused for that right? But here it says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So hold on to this hope. If you're doing what's right and you suffer, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. If people are threatening you, and that, this was written in the time that the Romans were actively hunting and killing people because they followed Jesus. Right here in the area we're living right now, these people knew suffering. They know what it means to be afraid for their life. And he says, don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And... In this climate where it's very dangerous to be recognized as a follower of Jesus, if someone asks about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Don't let the fear get in the way of sharing the hope. And he comes back to that at the end. Why is that so important that we don't let fear stop us? But instead, share in a gentle, respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed. And I think this is important. In the translation that I chose, the New Living Translation, um, it didn't make it clear. But in other translation, it says, on the day of judgment or on the day that Christ comes back, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. It's going to take a while. They're not necessarily going to see right now if we are living as we ought. But on the day of judgment, you can hold on to the truth that you will be um, rewarded. You will be held up and affirmed by God as having 
lived correctly and done what is right. And those who are falsely accusing, who are abusing, who are hurting you, will be shamed. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. It's better to suffer for for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. The suffering doesn't necessarily change. Everybody goes through suffering. But he's a very explicit later on in, 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 in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. There's a lot of reasons for suffering that come from my own sin, right? Because of what I've done, suffering comes. That suffering is not necessarily going to, uh, going to receive any reward when Jesus comes back, right? But if I'm suffering without having done wrong, then there's lots of promises for us. Um, the first one we already read, it shows that our, that our faith is genuine. Suffering accomplishes that. It purifies us. Not in the sense of being cleansed from sin. Jesus already did that. But it shows that our faith in him is real. Then it says it makes us, Peter says, it makes us partners with Jesus in his suffering. And that's what we see uh, in verse 18, chapter 3. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners, to bring you safely home to God. So his purpose, purpose in suffering was to bring you and me, sinners, together with him, safely home to God, to bring us to be with him. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Verse 12, we're skipping to chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange was happening to you. We don't need to ask why or be surprised. We can expect this. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Now, how is that true? Jesus... When he was tried, he was accused by the Jews. He was condemned by the Jews, his own people. He was innocent, but he was accused and and condemned. When he was, um, after being condemned, he was abused, humiliated, and killed by the Romans. Now, those are the Gentiles, not his own people, but if we know who Jesus is, if we know who Jesus is, then we know he's made us all. We're all his people. So once again, his own people had done that to him. While he's innocent, if we are being accused 
unjustly, if we are going through trials without a reason, without a why, it's just like Jesus. We become partners with him. And that's an amazing promise. And it says here, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. What motivates us? The joy of seeing his glory. Back in chapter one, it had said, you will be glorified. You will receive glory if you go through the suffering. But here it says, even more important is that we will see Jesus receiving that glory. And I think that's one of the reasons I like that song so much that that we've done a few times here, which says, "Is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy? And the answer is he is worthy. He alone is worthy, right? I suffer, but I was never pure and innocent. His suffering was complete. Last thought here. It says in verse 17, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. Right now, the time has come for judgment. It must begin with God's household. If judgment begins with us, what a terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God, never obeyed God's good news. And also if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? We are in a time of judgment. Now, we are not paying for our sins when we go through suffering. But I think that the best way that I can imagine this is like a trial. If you're on trial, you're on trial for something you did, you're guilty, or you're on trial for something you didn't do, you're being falsely accused. It doesn't matter. In either case, in either case, You suffer, right? Being on trial, being humiliated, going through that stress, not knowing what the verdict is going to be, that's suffering. And that's the situation for the church right now. Paul writes about himself and he says, I take up in my own body, this is in Colossians chapter 1, I think verse 9, I take up in my own body what is lacking in Christ's suffering. What? We know that Jesus did it all. He paid it all. There was nothing lacking. But I think what was lacking is that people need to see firsthand. People need to see firsthand that we respond differently to suffering than those who have no hope. That we don't fight back, that we turn the other cheek, that we respond as Jesus did and love those who hurt us. People need to see that. If they hear a nice story about it, it doesn't 
ring true. That's not their experience. But if they see that in your life and in my life, that makes all the difference. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you for he will never fail you. Amen.